tonight a summer series called Sound Doctrine. Every Wednesday night throughout the summer we're going to be uh, we're going to be teaching on sound doctrine. Uh, it's important that we never forget and never lose sight of the powerful and foundational doctrines of the scriptures. Amen. Uh, they're not just doctrines of the church, they're doctrines of the scriptures. And so we want to look into that. Amen. Tonight we're going to be teaching on the oneness of God. The oneness of God. And so we will begin looking at Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 35 through 40. Amen. Matthew chapter 22 and verses 35 through 40. When you have it, say amen. Okay, we're looking here at a time in which Jesus was greatly tested. Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then this statement. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Amen. Let's just go to the Lord together in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your great nature and your love wherewith you have loved us. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless us tonight as we endeavor to know you more through your word. God, we ask for your blessing upon each and every individual as they they hear your word. Help us to be more than hearers, but doers. Doers who obey. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And amen. Now, we see here a powerful statement by Jesus. He is tempted by the lawyer, a Pharisee, who says to him, which is the great commandment in the law? There were a lot of great commandments in the law. You know, he could have picked any one of them. Thou shalt not kill, pretty good commandment. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. These are all great, great uh, commands. As a matter of fact, uh, honor your father and mother. That's a pretty good one. And all the mothers and fathers said amen. Uh, The matter of having no gods before you. uh, These are all great commandments. But Jesus, who is the author of the law, understood the real question. And he knew the answer. Perhaps the Pharisee did, perhaps the Pharisee did not. But when the Pharisee said, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus responded, the great commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He, of course, was quoting the law of God that was given to the children of Israel I will turn your attention to that particular passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that Jesus was 
quoting from. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. But I want to read verse 4 to you as well because before he gave them any command at all, he established a, an understanding in their heart, a foundation upon which they could really understand how to love God and how to love one another. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Before you can understand anything else about God, you have to understand that the Lord our God is one Lord. Before you can truly Love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have to know that the Lord our God is one Lord. You have to know that. You have to understand that. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. The fact that the Lord our God is one Lord. And the reason we're talking about this is because the Lord manifests Himself in three distinct ways he manifests himself as father and he manifests himself as the son of God and he manifests himself as the Holy Ghost and we know that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and we know we celebrated it on Sunday that he poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost and so this is a wonderful thing. This is a beautiful thing. But it's important that we know and understand that, that God is, while he manifests himself in three distinct manifestations, he is one Lord. And he, he is one God. And he does not separate himself into three persons. But he does, in fact, manifest himself to us in three ways. We have a relationship with God in three distinct ways. And I'll go further and say we have a relationship with God in a number of different ways. Beyond just three distinct ways. How many know God as shepherd? He leads and guides us into green pastures. How many know God as the king of your life? Hallelujah. Not just the king, but the Lord of your life. How many know him as the healer? How many know him as the deliverer? How many know him as the savior? Hallelujah. He has revealed himself to us in a variety of ways. The Bible even says that God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time, passed unto us by the prophets, hath in these last days revealed himself as the son of the living God. And then Hebrews chapter 1 says, he being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. There aren't multiple persons concerning God. There is one person. Hallelujah. But when you look at Jesus Christ, 
you are looking at the image of the person of God. And in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, so why is there a son of God? and Why is there the Holy Ghost, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you ask. Because it's important that you understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God began to create the earth and take it from its formless position. Take it from its position of being void. And He created the most spectacular, beautiful, lush, remarkable earth that you and I could ever imagine. Much more pristine than what we know now as earth. Much more, much more vibrant than what we know now as earth. Much more poignant, much more powerful, much more nourishing. Because it was an earth that was full of life and had no death in it. No death. No death in earth. Just life. Only life. And so, so this was a, a beautiful earth that God created. And not only did God create the earth, but the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And when he did, man became a living soul and God gave the earth to man. It was God's gift. To man and he told him how to tend to it how to keep it how to dress it how to take care of it somebody said well when man sinned the curse was that he had to work no that wasn't the curse he already was working work is a blessing work is a gift and that's why you get such a sense of accomplishment when you finish your work because it is a gift from God to be able to work not a drudgery and, and so man was working. The difference between the work that he did before he sinned and the work that he did after he sinned is that the work that he did before he sinned brought life, life, life. Everything that he set his hand and mind to do produced life-giving qualities. And after he sinned, it was just the opposite. Everything that he set his hand to do produced death. Thorns and thistles came as a result of man's work. So the curse was not that he worked. The curse was that when he worked, it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to turn out. It produced thorns and thistles. All the bad stuff we have in our world comes to us via the sin of man. And... So it is that, that Adam was created by God. Adam was the son of God. Everybody say the son of God. Now he was not begotten of God. But he was the son of God. He was the created son of God. Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. 
Now, we're going to read from verse 23, and then we're going to read verse 37 and 38, but we're not going to read everything in between there, because there's a lot of begatting going on in these verses of Scripture. Luke chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Mathet, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Jana, which was the son of Joseph, and we'll skip on down to verse 37. Now, there are some powerful things in there. Don't misunderstand me. There's some powerful things in these passages of scriptures, even in the begetting that is described. Verse 37, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Meliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Adam was the son of God. And as the son of God, he was given power over the earth. He was given dominion over the earth. The earth was entrusted into his hands and he had dominion over every creature. He had dominion over every plant. He had dominion. Death did not exist in the world. So Adam was incapable of dying. Adam could only live. It was the blessing of the Lord. This is why death is it stings so bad. If you've ever experienced the death of a loved one, you know that death stings so bad. The scripture says the sting of death is sin. Sin brought death into the world. This is also why the glorious truth of, of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord Regardless of the effects of sin, Jesus came to destroy the works of sin, nail sin to the old rugged cross, hallelujah, was buried, rose from the dead, and when he returns and carries us into his glory, the scripture will be fulfilled, O death, where is thy sting? Because all this time, death had a sting. It was called sin. We are constantly reminded of sin every time we have a brush with death. But when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Oh, hallelujah. One day, we will have an incorruptible body. One day, we will have an immortal body. A body that doesn't get sick. A body that can't get sick. A body that doesn't get ill. That can't get well. That doesn't get disabled. That can't get disabled. And death will have lost its sting. Sin will have lost its influence in the earth. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because we're talking about Adam before he fell. 
Before he fell, he was, he was immune to the effects of death. Death had no legal jurisdiction over Adam. Death could, could have no advantage over Adam. Adam was the son of God. And Adam had dominion like the son of God. He tended to the earth as the son of God. He walked and talked with God as the son of God. Death had no dominion. Death had no power. Death was held at bay. And death only has power when we sin. When lust hath conceived, James said, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Listen, the pleasures of sin only last for a season. And if you're going to enjoy the pleasures of sin, that's your business. But be ready, because when sin is finished, there will be death. And there are no two ways about that. Something precious to you will die, and the death of it will produce such severe sorrow. And you must be aware of that. Death to Adam meant nothing. Except that he, I don't, know, I don't know to what extent he even understood the concept, to be honest with you. Except that his mind was free from death's influence. So I'm imagining that his mind was a brilliantly sharp mind. I know that the Bible says Adam was not deceived. That Eve was deceived. Adam was disobedient, but he wasn't deceived. God said, you can eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam was disobedient. Eve was deceived. Adam was disobedient. And the book of Romans teaches us that it was through the disobedience of Adam that sin came into the world and death by sin. So sin came into the world through Adam's willful disobedience, not through Eve's deception, but through Adam's disobedience. And when Adam's disobedience opened the door for sin to enter the world, sin didn't come in by himself. Sin brought a crew with him, and the crew was death. Death comes with sin. Sin never travels alone. Sin always brings death with it. You can't invite sin to a party where sin won't bring death. I need to remind somebody what the devil came to do. He didn't come to give you a good time. I know that's what you think right now while you're engaging in sin. But the thief came only to steal, only to kill, only to destroy. And for no other purpose. So sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. And here Adam is welcoming sin in. And he tries, I don't know if he tried to shut the door on death, but death already had his hand in the door, his foot in the door, and said, no, 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 no. If sin comes, I come with it. So get ready for something or someone to die because that's how sin goes. And so death entered into the picture with sin and everything changed. Everything changed. Now, Adam has an expiration date on him. Before, he couldn't die. Now, he shall die. Now, his days are numbered. 
Every one of us have a number attached to our days. The Bible says that the Lord looked upon David and said, when your days have expired. The fact of the matter is every one of us have upon our lives an unknown expiration date where it all on this earth will be concluded. It is appointed unto all men once to die and then the judgment. And so Adam sinned. Adam brought in death. Now Adam has an expiration date, not just Adam, but the earth that Adam had received as a gift is now also on a time clock. That's why heaven and earth shall pass away. I said that's why heaven and earth shall pass away. That's why the grass withereth and the flower fadeth. That's why moth and rust break through and corrupt. That's why thieves and robbers break through and steal. Because this whole earth is fallen. This whole earth has been given over to death. And as Adam lost his dominion over the earth, he gave that dominion to death. So death took dominion over the earth. The book of Romans Chapter 5, the book of Romans, chapter 5, and verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned. Everybody say, death reigned. Nevertheless, death reigned like a king. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. So death reigned as king from Adam unto Moses. Everybody was going to die. Adam was the son of God. The earth was going to die. Everything now had an expiration date on it. Everything now had a curse on it. Everything was suffering under the influence of sin. And if you read the book of Genesis and you go back to the begetting of the book of Genesis, it actually tells you the number of years that people lived. Adam lived 930 years. We read about a guy in this passage by the name of Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years. That's what that, that smart aleck meant when they said, Happy birthday, Methuselah. Now, nobody said that to me so far. I... I I think I just opened myself up to it, though. <laughs> happy birthday, Methuselah. What they mean is, happy birthday, you're older than the oldest man, or as old as the oldest man in the, in the Bible. And, uh, and if you look at the way these years progress, with each passing generation, after a little while, the years start decreasing dramatically. When you get past Noah and past the flood, the years of people's lives begin to really, really reduce. And by the time you get into the, into the uh, well into uh, creation and well into the story of the scriptures, then you see that the life expectancy of humanity has, has reduced to such a dramatic degree. And to this day, now, the Bible says that God gives unto man three score and ten years unless by strength He's able to live longer, but basically the average age is about 70-ish is what the Bible's trying to tell you. And what that teaches us is that man has lost his understanding of how to have dominion over the earth. Man is so far from being what God originally created him to be. Mankind, men and women, so far 
from being who God originally designed them to be. They don't understand how to have control or dominion over the earth that God entrusted into their hands. A classic example is that once man had dominion over the plant life. Now, you look at the epidemics of today, the plant life has dominion over man. Tobacco. Poppy. The opium, the opioid epidemic. And we're talking, people are dying right now because they have no control and they have no control over themselves and they have no control of their environment. They have no control over the earth around them. And, and the, the principalities who govern this fallen earth, ladies and gentlemen, have such control over humanity. Man is so far from what God originally designed him to be. And that's how it was. That's how it worked. God made man the son of God. And as the son of God, man had dominion over the earth. Man took that gift of earth, gave it to death, caused an expiration date to fall to himself. And now man has no dominion over the earth. And now man has no dominion as God had entrusted him to have. And not only does he have no dominion, but men and women everywhere are asking the question, what is the meaning of life? Who am I? Life doesn't make sense. Life has no purpose. You know why? Because you're so far from being the son, the daughter of God, the child of God that he intended you to be. And so this, I said all of this to answer this question. This is why we talk about the son of the living God in order for God to reconcile the world back to what it's supposed to be God had to become the son of God because man was so far from it man doesn't even begin to understand who he is that's why there are so many heresies out there why there are so many false doctrines out there why there are so many oppositions of science falsely so called why there are so many strange ideas ideas about evolution ideas about reincarnation ideas about about self-enlightenment ideas about transcendentalism ideas about some kind of a of a mental ascendance no sir no ma'am we are to be the children of the almighty god that's who we were created to be. That's who we were created to be. And if you're, if you're wondering, let me break into the middle of your Wednesday. Let me break into the middle of your work week and remind you, this world is not our home. We are only passing through. Hallelujah. Don't get so caught up in the disappointments and the appointments of this world. That you begin to feel that this world is your home. This world is not your home. You and I are here and we are, we are to be following a great commission of preaching the gospel to every creature who walks this planet. 
Every individual who is on planet earth, hallelujah, we are commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to declare unto them that Jesus saves. He saves from the disappointment of this earth. He saves from the, from the, from the authority that the enemy has over you. He saves from the confusion. He saves from the disillusionment. He saves from the depression. He saves from the addiction. He saves from the condemnation. He saves from the guilt and the shame. He saves from the sin. Hallelujah. That's why we're here. So God, hallelujah, was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16, justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. He was received up into glory. Isaiah said it this way. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. His name, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called the Mighty God. His name shall be called the Everlasting Father. And his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. He's not two different people. He's the one Everlasting Father who came down into this earth. Hallelujah. Made of a woman. Made under the law. Praise God. He was brought into this earth. Manifest in human flesh. So that he could teach us what a son of God is. Because we forgot what a son of God is. We don't know what a son of God is. We don't know the power of a son of God. We don't know the authority of a son of God. We don't know the peace that a son of God can have. We don't know the joy that a son of God is supposed to have. We don't know any of that in our human flesh. God did not stand off as some cruel dictator, tyrant, sending another to do his dirty work. God himself, hallelujah, became the only begotten son of the living God. And he entered into this earth. And I remind somebody, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And you go ask that only begotten son, who are you? And, and, and you go ask that only begotten son, show us the father. And that only begotten son will say, why do you say show us the father? Have I been so long time with you? And you still don't know who I am. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Hallelujah. That only begotten Son will look at you and say, I and my Father are one. Oh, hallelujah. This was the almighty God manifest in human flesh. This was the Adonai manifest in flesh. This was El Shaddai manifest in the flesh. This was Elohim manifest in the flesh. This was Elyon manifest in the flesh. This was Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah, hallelujah, the same God who thundered on Mount Sinai, the same God, hallelujah, who delivered Daniel out of a den of lions. This is the same God who said they really don't even know who they are. 
They're like sheep having no shepherd. They're all going astray. They're all looking to their own way. So God himself. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I was, I was uh, a big Indiana Pacer fan. Amen. Don't tell anybody. That's just between us. And I remember when Larry Bird became their head coach. I was a big Larry Bird fan too. Larry Bird was a great basketball player. He was the coach of the Indiana Pacers. And I remember when they were playing the Chicago Bulls. And they really they took them to the seventh game of the Eastern Conference Finals. And they only lost that seventh game by five points. And I remember thinking, man, I know Larry Bird's the coach. But if Larry could just get out on the floor in the last few minutes, how cool would that be? Of course, his back would have been messed up. But just go with me. Just go with me. You know, there is a way to do that in, in basketball. Bill Russell did it with the Boston Celtics. It's a position called player coach. It's when the coach comes out onto the floor and becomes a player but never stops being the coach. Hallelujah. And I thought, come on, Larry, you can hit those free throws. Dale Davis was missing free throws. And I said, come on, Larry, get out on there. You can hit those free throws. Next, Isaiah Thomas was their coach. And I said, come on, Isaiah, just put on a jersey. Go out there and play. That's what God did. God looked down at this earth. He saw the high priest. He saw the lamb. He saw the tabernacle. He saw the mercy seed. And he said, you know what? You know what? If you want a job done right, sometimes you just got to do it yourself. And so God took upon himself the uniform of a man. Came down, never stopped being God. Stepped onto our court. Shot our free throws. Made our baskets. Ran our fast breaks. Hallelujah. All you got to do is throw the ball up toward the rim and he'll grab it and take it the rest of the way. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? God is both father and son at the same time. Hallelujah. My God. How's that possible? The same way he's the lion and the lamb at the same time. The way he's the shepherd and the lamb at the same time. The way he's the door to the sheepfold and the, and the scapegoat at the same time. The way he's the root and the branch at the same time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The way he's the first and the last. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. The father, the son, the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament, you ever wonder who qualified to get to write in the Old Testament? You got all these writers in the Old Testament. Who got to show up and who didn't? Who got their name in, in the Old Testament written down as one of the great heroes of the Old Testament? I'll tell you who. Those who began to understand sonship. Those who began to understand, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping into something. I, I, think, I think I'm beginning to understand something about God. And this is why so many of the miracles they did were miracles that involved taking authority over the earth. What did Moses do with the Red Sea? Parted the waters. 
That's, that's a miracle that only a son of God is able to do. It's showing dominion over the elements of the earth. What did Elijah do? He pulled fire from heaven. What did Elijah do with the, with the, 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 the uh, barrel of meal? She said, I don't have much meal. He said, the barrel of meal shall not fail. She said, I only have a little bit of oil. He said, the cruise of oil shall not waste. Hallelujah. The cruise of oil shall not fail. The barrel of meal shall not waste. When it came time for the rain to come, he said, stop coming. When it came time for it to, to pour out, he said, come on down. He controlled the elements. He controlled the bread, the oil, the water, the fire. Elisha parted the waters. Elijah parted the waters. Moses parted the waters. Joshua parted the waters. They, what they were doing, they were demonstrating authority. Why were they demonstrating authority over the elements of the earth? Because they were tapping into understanding who they are in God. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to show mankind you were not supposed to live under the burden of shame. You were not supposed to live under the burden of condemnation. You're not supposed to live depressed. You're not supposed to live joyless. You're not supposed to live in fear. Hallelujah. This is why he told, this is why he told the disciples, here, get on this boat and go out onto the water, knowing the whole time that a storm was coming. They get out onto the water, and they're just chilling out, having a nice little cruise, and a storm shows up, about to capsize the boat. They all think they're going to die, and Jesus just comes walking on the water in the middle of a storm. I don't mean paddling a boat. I don't mean showing up in some big Coast Guard jet ski. I'm talking about walking on the water. And they thought he was a ghost. But the scripture says he would have passed them by. But they called to him. And he turned. And when he got close to the ship, Peter said, If it be thou, Lord, bid me come. And Jesus said, Come. Peter got out onto the water and began to walk on the water himself. The whole purpose of Jesus walking on the water now is revealed. The whole reason he put them out into the boat in the middle of a storm so that he could walk on the water and then cause Peter to walk on the water is to reveal to Peter who he is. Not just who Jesus is, but who Peter is. This is who you are supposed to be. Your faith can move mountains. Your faith can unpluck sycamore tree roots. Hallelujah. You're going to need to know this, Peter, because you're going to live in a day where so many people are sick, needing to be healed. And when you pass by, you're going to be so heavily saturated with the anointing of God that your very shadow is going to come upon them and they're going to be healed. This was why God manifested himself into the Form of a man. To reveal to humanity who they are supposed to be. But who they are incapable of being by themselves. Because they are strapped to death. Because they are strapped to sin. Because they are strapped to condemnation. So the scripture teaches us. That even as sin came into the world by one man. So righteousness will enter the world by one man. Oh, hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be 
made alive. Jesus Christ came to live the life of the Son of God. The Almighty God came down into this world to make up for Adam's disobedience through his own obedience. To make up for Adam's transgression by his own righteousness. To make up for Adam's, for Adam's straying by his own keeping to the straight and the narrow path. And so it is that he secured salvation for whosoever will. Hallelujah. Who did it? God did it. Who did it? God did it. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Hallelujah. What a beautiful word. Reconciling. Reconciling. Reconciling the world unto himself. That's why if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things. Hallelujah. All things. All things are become new. Everything becomes new in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, hallelujah. You and I are comprised of three parts. Body, soul, spirit. When God created man, he created man in his image. Because God is made up of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. When God, as heavenly Father, formed man of the dust of the ground, he was creating that bodily image. That's the reason Jesus looked the way he looked. Adam was formed according to the way that Jesus was created, the way that Jesus was made of a woman, made under the law. Adam was the image of God. Man is the image of God comprised of three parts. Even as man is body, soul, and spirit, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you look at the soul of man, you are seeing a glimpse of God as Father. When you look at the body of man, you are seeing a glimpse of God as Son. When you look at the spirit of man, you are seeing a glimpse of God as Holy Spirit. That's what you're seeing. When you look at man, you are looking at the image of God. Not three separate persons, but three distinct manifestations of God. You even see this in Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you repent of your sins, you are repenting of that original sin of Adam. And you are turning from the wickedness of mankind. Turning from the wickedness of your own ways. Hallelujah. When you are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You are baptized into that precious name. The name of the only begotten son of the living God. And when you are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You are regenerated in your spirit. You who were dead in trespasses and sins are regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why it takes Acts 2.38 method of salvation's plan to redeem the whole being of an individual because they are restored to God completely through repentance and baptism in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Their soul is regenerated. Their body is regenerated. Their spirit is regenerated. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ. 
Glory to God. This is why America has three branches of government. They can say, they can say all that they want that, that we don't have a foundation, a Christian foundation, but they're wrong and, and, and they're wrong. And the scripture is right. In this sense, Isaiah said that the Lord is our king, the Lord is our judge, and the Lord is our lawgiver. Those are the three branches of a righteous government. King, judge, and lawgiver. Executive, judicial, legislative. When you look at Moses, you see that Moses gave the law. He was the first legislator of Israel. He gave the law. Then when Moses and Joshua died... God raised up judges. This was the judiciary. When the judges stopped at Samuel, God raised up a king. This was the executive. You see the three branches of government. Legislative branch, the judicial branch, the executive branch. This is the same way it is with God. When you look at what God did as heavenly father, when he created the earth, he was operating as the legislator, the lawgiver. He established the laws of the earth. That's where our laws of gravity come from that's where all the all the laws of aerodynamics come from God put them in the earth God put them in the earth God put the elements in the earth the table of the elements God established all of them he established the natural laws in the earth this is why governments tread on dangerous ground when they begin to tamper with the natural laws of marriage as founded in Genesis chapter 2 this wasn't some this wasn't some religious idea this was God himself who made this as the law and so God was the lawgiver but when God manifested himself into flesh as the son of the living God now God is not operating just as the lawgiver but he's operating as the judge judges are to interpret the law they are to give meaning for what the law is all about that's why when Jesus walked the earth and people began to challenge him on his adherence to the law he would he would explain the law better to them he would say to them Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath he would say to those who questioned his disciples not washing their hands, why do you forsake the actual law of honoring one's father and mother and embrace the tradition of the elders of washing hands before you eat? He then proceeded to say, you have heard that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that he that looketh on a woman and lusteth after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. He said to them, you have heard that you should love your brother but I'm telling you that if you have that you should not kill but I'm telling you that if you have hate in your heart for your brother you have killed already what was he doing he was interpreting the law he was judging he was giving the interpretation of what the law really meant that's why when you stand before the Lord you will be judged by Jesus Christ the Lamb of God, the Lamb's book of life, it will be according to His life standard that you and I will be judged. We're not going to be judged according to one another's standard. We're going to be judged according to that perfect standard of Jesus Christ. And so, not only was God the lawgiver in creation and the judge in sonship, but He is the executive in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The executive is to enforce the law. 
So when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's God in you enforcing the law of God in your life. That's why when you have the Holy Ghost in your life, you suddenly have a power. Hallelujah. If you let the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost can do, you suddenly have a power over sin and over temptation. Because it's God inside of you enforcing the law of God. Hallelujah. That's why sometimes you'll just feel convicted and say, I don't need to do this. I need to walk away from this. I need to get out of here. I don't need to be in this crowd. I need to get away from this crowd. I need to walk away. What is that? That's the Holy Ghost inside of you enforcing the law of God. Hallelujah. Not separate persons, but God operating in three distinct ways as in relationship with his creation. He is the heavenly father. He is the only begotten son of the living God. And he is the Holy Ghost and fire. And he's keeping me alive. Oh, hallelujah. He's in my hands. He's in my feet. He's in my heart. All over me. Do you know he's in the members of your body? I said he's in the members of your body. It's not just some, it's not just some vagueness that, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. When we say filled with the Holy Ghost, we mean the Holy Ghost gets down on the invisible parts of you and he moves all throughout your whole body. Hallelujah. That's why the scripture says we yield our members as instruments of righteousness. And your whole body can become an instrument for the Lord. That's how somebody can stand up behind a pulpit and preach the word. Because their tongue is surrendered to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. That's why they can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Because their whole body is surrendered to God as an instrument of righteousness. Hallelujah. This is how they can run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. And they can wait. Hallelujah, they can wait upon the Lord. Glory to God. So important that we understand exactly who Jesus Christ is. He came into this earth to do something man could not do for himself. He came into this earth to overcome every sin, every addiction, every temptation. And you and I, hallelujah, are to be children of God. Don't you know that this is what David was saying when David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And what is the son of man that thou visitest him? David had been looking into the heavens and God, God put inside the code of the heavens the gospel message, the truth, the reality. Heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day, if you'll pay attention, is uttering speech. And night unto night is showing knowledge. The bridegroom, the Bible says, the son is as the bridegroom coming forth out of his chamber. See, see that's what you, you and I have to understand. God was not, God was not necessarily, uh, uh, God was not necessarily using, uh, trying to teach us about the Son, and when he's talking about the bridegroom, God established the sun in the heavens so that every time it pierced the darkness of a morning, we would understand what it will be like when the bridegroom comes forth out of his chamber. 
Hallelujah. Every single day, God is telling you what it's going to be like when those heavens open wide and we are welcomed into His great embrace. Hallelujah. Day unto day, speech is being uttered. Night unto night, knowledge is being shown. And people are just going about their daily routine and daily business and they're not paying any attention to what God is saying clearly in the heavens every morning that the sun shows up. Every night, every evening that the night falls. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection. The death, the burial, the resurrection. Hallelujah. We sang a song during Pentecost. Bishop Bobby Hilton began to sing it. And I loved it. Of course, it's, it's an old song. The chorus says, There shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you will surely find. It's the waterway and it's the light today. Baptized in Jesus' name. Young and old, repent of all your sins. And the Holy Ghost will enter in. Oh, the evening time has come. And it's a fact that God and Christ are one. I'm going to sing it again. There shall be light. In the evening time, the path to glory you will surely find. Yes, it's the waterway, and it's the light today. Baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, young and old, repent of all your sins. And the Holy Ghost shall enter in. Oh, the evening time has come. And it's a fact that God and Christ are one. Glory. Hallelujah. Sister Maddie Pryor wrote that song. She was a member of Christ Temple in Indianapolis under Bishop G.T. Haywood. These are the verses. I, we, some of us are more familiar with the choruses, chorus, but I, I want to read the verses to you. Verse 1, long ago the maids drew water. In the evening time they say, one day Isaac sent his servant to stop Rebekah on her way. My master sent me here to tell thee, see these jewels rich and fair. Wouldst thou his lovely bride be? In that country over there. Verse 2. So God's servants come to tell you of a bridegroom. In the sky looking for a holy people to be his bride soon. By and by he sends to us refreshing waters in this wondrous latter day. And those who really will be quickened must go through the waterway. Verse 3. Are you on your way to ruin? Cumbered with a load of care. See the quick work God is doing. That so his glory you will share. At last the faith which was once delivered to the saints is ours today. To get in the church triumphant you must go the waterway. Verse 4. Have you looked and often wondered why the power is slack today? Will you stay in that back number and go on in the man-made way? Oh souls that have never been baptized. 
baptized in the blessed name of God. Let the truth now sanctify you. Tis the way the apostles trod. There shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you will surely find. It's the waterway and it's the light today. Baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, young and old, repent of all your sins. Yes, and the Holy Ghost will enter in. Oh, the evening time has come. And it's a fact that God and Christ are one. There shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you will surely find. Well, it's the waterway. And it's the light today, baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, young and old, repent of all your sins. Yes, and the Holy Ghost will enter in. Oh, the evening time has come. And it's a fact that God and Christ are one. There shall be light, yes, in the evening time. The path to glory you will surely find. Well, it's the waterway and it's the life today. Baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, young and old, repent of all your sins. And the Holy Ghost will enter in. Well, the evening time has come. And it's a fact that God and Christ are one. And there shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you will surely find. It's the waterway and it's the light today. Baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, young and old. will enter in yes the evening time has come and it's a fact that God and Christ are one there shall be light in the evening time the path to glory you will surely find yes it's the waterway yes it's the light today Baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, young and old, repent of all your sin. Well, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Well, Lord, Lord, I know the evening time has come. And it's a fact 